Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Every so often, we all need a little encouragement, some words to capture our mind, engage our heart, and enliven our spirit. And that's my intention with this podcast. It's an opportunity for you to take a few minutes out of your busy day and listen to what I hope is thought-provoking and empowering content. Each week, my guests and I share stories, challenges, and vulnerabilities, as well as tips and insights on a whole range of topics all with the aim of helping us to live in a more soulful, authentic and integrated way. So thank you for tuning in. Let's jump into this week's episode. Hello and welcome, or welcome back, I should say, to my loyal listeners who've been patiently waiting for me to return with this podcast. I can't believe it's been nearly a year, 10 months at least, since the last episode. And you know what? I feel a little nervous. I suppose I'm out of practice. Maybe I'll have to find my voice again, but it's great to be back. New intro music and all. So this week, in the first of a new series, I'll bring you up to speed as to what's been happening with me, and I'll take you through some of my learnings and insights from taking a time out of my business, or as I've been calling it, my practical sabbatical. Practical because I didn't shut up shop completely. I kept commitments I had in my diary and said yes to pieces of work that I knew I would enjoy. But as well as putting this podcast on hold, I stopped the blog posts, the monthly e-zine, having reached the milestone edition of the, the 200th edition, and I really pulled back on social media too. In many ways, it was a retreat, a time to pause, rest and reflect. Prior to the break, I was producing a weekly podcast, and that was 50 episodes a year, and it had just become too much. So my approach now is to produce weekly episodes, but in a series, maybe a little like a TV show, perhaps a run of eight or ten episodes. I think this approach will allow me to balance my time better. And I think, too, that the quality of the episodes, the content will be better, too. That's my intention anyway. So a few things I want to say up front. Firstly, I recognise that being able to take some time out of the normal work routines is a tremendous privilege. It's not something that's possible or practical for so many people, and I never forget how lucky I am to have that option. Secondly, this is not going to be one of those podcasts where I pontificate about how we all benefit from sabbaticals and return to follow our passions, feeling renewed and rested and motivated to get back onto the ladder or the treadmill. Yeah, that might be true for some people, but, it is not, but it's not true for everyone, and it hasn't been true for me. Do I feel more rested? Absolutely. Has taking my foot off the pedal been beneficial? Yes, in so many ways. Is it a panacea? No. There are still issues and challenges I'm grappling with, and I'll be speaking more about that. But perhaps I have more energy to devote to managing those challenges, and a wider perspective, having been able to take a step back, and to look up, as I've been saying to see some wood from the trees. And the last thing I want to say up front, and this is a bit of a teaser, but something did surprise me about stepping back from my usual work routines. Something tangible has come out of it, and I'll share that with you at the end of the episode, so a little bit of a tease. So with that said, what have I discovered by pressing pause on my business for a few months? Well, the other day I listened to the last episode of my podcast, the one where I speak about why I decided to take a break. A client who had listened to it a few weeks ago had messaged me to say that he thought I sounded broken on it. To my ear, I certainly sounded tired. And I said at the time, 
I was beginning to resent so much of my work, the work that I had loved doing for so long. At the time, I could recognize that resentment, that irritability that seemed to bristle under the surface and how it was a sign of exhaustion and burnout. That was certainly the case, and I'm so thankful that I was aware enough to recognize the signs that I was struggling. As I said then, I'd been through a lot, bladder cancer, skin cancer, operations, treatment, recovery, my dad's illness and death, not to mention a pandemic. I also remember that evening I recorded the last podcast episode, our beloved dog Cara at the ripe old age of 16 and a half died. She'd had a stroke, so the humane thing was to put her to sleep. So it wasn't the easiest of times, but such is life. On the topic of that last episode and blog post I wrote to accompany it, I want to say thank you to everyone who sent me messages and emails after listening to it or reading it. I received more comments and likes on that episode than any other. So either people were relieved that they wouldn't be hearing me, hearing from me for a while, or the message I shared resonated. I remember being very nervous and vulnerable recording that episode, but nearly all the feedback I received was from people who applauded my raw honesty, openness and vulnerability. I suspect Brenny Brown would have been proud of me. Speaking about how so many of us are tired, in need of rest, physical, mental and emotional rest, and how maybe we can sense that we need to instigate some changes in our lives, that theme obviously resonated with so many people. Coming through the pandemic, a time when the world was turned upside down, a period of intense reactivity, perhaps we sense too that it is now a time to lean towards proactivity and to take the lead in our lives once again. So all those messages of support were wonderful to receive. It made me realise that in taking the risk to be so open, I perhaps helped others too. It's encouraged me to lean into that space more, and I hope it is also the tone of this episode and future episodes. That's my intention anyway. And I must acknowledge as well that whilst this is the first episode in many months, uh, many people have tuned into previous episodes from the archive, the library of over 120 episodes, so much so that total downloads of the podcast have now soared past 20,000. Uh, and that's fantastic, and I'm really grateful for that. So. 10 months of taking my foot off the pedal, what have I learned? First and top of the list is that I needed it. I had to take a time out. I had nothing more to give. I was always someone who had loads of energy, motivation. You know, hell, I'm known as a motivational speaker. Not feeling eager, not bubbling with enthusiasm. I didn't feel myself, which might sound like an odd thing to say. So much of my work had become churn. The enjoyment, the love had gone out of it. I needed time to fall in love with my business again, to go back to basics and figure out why I do what I do. But I also found that there was a paradox that goes with that. Years ago, I remember a session with a therapist who said to me, James, you're always more than what you do, even if what you do is what you love, and even if people are buying you, not just what you can do for them. So when I stopped working, I was asking, well, who am I? That's a big question. Of course, ironically, it's one I sometimes pose to my coaching clients. This brings us into the space of identity and who we are beyond the roles we play, who we are beyond our collection of experiences, habitual thoughts and emotions and the conglomeration of beliefs and, that shape our judgments of ourselves and the world around us. I struggled with that and I still struggle with it. I suspect it's something I'll be dancing with for the rest of my life. When we are busy, we are distracted from the bigger questions in our lives, and it is easier today to be distracted than ever before. When work was no longer a distraction for me, especially around the turn of the year, 
Something that came to the surface for me, which sort of surprised me, was imposter syndrome. Now, ironically, that is a topic I speak about quite a bit. It's a theme that resonates with, with most of us. That sense of not being good enough, worthy enough, being concerned about, being found out. I was aware enough to know, as anyone who works in the coaching space knows, that we teach what we most need to learn. And imposter syndrome is something I continue to wrestle with. I laugh because even prior to recording this episode, the voice in my head was saying, James, who's going to tune in and listen to you? People will have moved on to other podcasts. You'll be forgotten. We all know the shrill tones of that critical inner voice. But what I found interesting was that over the last 10 months, when I was only seeing a handful of clients, without feedback from audiences and clients, I had no way of calibrating my value. You see, those of us who struggle with imposter syndrome have no or a really underdeveloped internal reference point for feeling success or achievement. Without recognition or acknowledgement from others, we don't know how we are doing. Now, I'm experienced enough to know when a talk goes well or when a client is really benefiting from a coaching conversation. But when I wasn't audience or client facing, I had no way of assessing my value. If I wasn't working, producing, motivating, inspiring others, what was my purpose? I can see my pattern now. To satisfy that craving of feeling valued, I got stuck into baking so I could get the positive feedback from family. Staying on top of household chores, especially the ironing, was a measure of productivity, as mad as that sounds. It's that old adage of wherever you go, there you are. I'd come across people, and you've probably encountered them yourself, that when someone says, someone say, you know, they retire from work, they question their value. Or at different stages of life, perhaps when the kids have left home or elderly parents have passed on, they question their value. They wonder, you know, does anyone need me anymore? The world will keep turning after we are gone. So what's the value I'm adding now? It was these sort of questions that bubbled away in my mind, or perhaps I should say spiralled. Into this mix, there were other challenges I was grappling with. I kept an eye on social media and on those platforms you see many people doing great things. Of course, we know it's edited and curated, but I had that sense that people were getting on with their lives and I had just stopped. And then there was the cocktail of beliefs around work ethic. If I'm not working hard, am I lazy? If I'm not engaging with the world, it will stop engaging with me, the law of cause and effect. If I'm feeling lost, what am I attracting into my life, good old law of attraction? If I have skills and talents and I'm not using them, will I lose them? And then I didn't have the normal routines and deadlines of work to distract me from this overthinking. I can laugh now, but it turns out that my website picked up some sort of virus at the time, unbeknownst to me, and the visitors to the site fell off a cliff. The inquiries stopped almost overnight. Now, on one hand, I was thankful I wasn't having to let loads of people down by saying I was on a break. But on the other hand, it was like, mother of God, what's going on here? With a bit of hindsight now, I suspect it was, to paraphrase Paolo Coelho, the universe conspiring to assist me, and not for the first time at that. Whilst I knew for sure I needed to take some rest and a time out, if nothing else, a session with a coach shortly after I'd press pause made me realise that my work fuels me. It's not a complete energy drain. It's an exchange of energy. I'm at my best. I'm in a flow state when working with clients or speaking with audiences. I know that to be true because I can feel it and because I've missed that buzz of interacting with people or sharing ideas, of seeing eyes light up because I've been able to put language on something a client or an audience member had been feeling but couldn't label. This realisation made me rethink the sort of work I want to do, the sort of clients I want to work with. 
I've spoken before about the disease to please, the inability to say no. Over the last few years, I drifted down the continuum from proactive to reactive, from creating to coping, responding to requests, requests rather than instigating initiatives myself. This got me thinking of the bigger topic of goals and having a goal focus. Now, goals as a concept is something that I fell out of love with, as odd as that sounds. Even my annual seminar, SOAR, that started off as an event for establishing goal focus for the year ahead, had shifted to emphasise emotional success and a more holistic sense of well-being. After all, behind all goals is a request to feel more positive emotions anyway. One of the many books I turned to over the last few months was The Blueprint by Doug Cannon. It is a theme of getting unstuck and has the subtitle of Practical Steps to Take Your Leadership to New Heights. There was an exercise in it that I found quite eye-opening, even shocking. On the surface, it was simple enough. Write out past goals that you've had and perhaps have ticked off or that you're working on and maybe your current goals. So with a cup of coffee, pen and one of my many journals to hand, I got stuck in. You were then encouraged to review what you'd written and notice any trends or themes. What struck me was that all my goals had been ticked off over 10 years ago. I didn't have any clear goals, smart or otherwise, for me, my life, my business. Now, I can appreciate that you might find this quite shocking. Me, a coach, and not having any goals? After all, coaching traditionally has been built around identifying goals and working steadily towards them. In shifting focus towards emotional success, I'd become a little lost, a bit at the mercy of responding to client requests rather than assessing what do I want, that good old coaching question. Whilst I've posed it to many clients, you know, what do you want or variations of it, it's been a long time since I contemplated it myself. I can see that this has contributed to my sense of drift, drift to the point of feeling lost. Of course, I've always retained a degree of proactivity in my life and work, but I didn't have what Jim Collins famously called big, hairy, audacious goals, something big to inspire me, a North Star to navigate towards. As I've said many times, motivation requires motive. So there's been an element of giving myself permission to dream again. As I've said, all my goals were ticked off years ago. It was time to think big again because we continue to learn and grow and expand. And that's how we continue to evolve. And sometimes we realize that we've expanded beyond the comfort zones of our present day lives. In that regard, a question I came across that really struck me was, when was the last time I did something for the first time? How would you answer that? When was the last time you did something for the first time? For me, the only thing that came to mind was nearly five years ago when I attended my first yoga class, and I've spoken about how that has enriched my life since. It got me thinking that 10, maybe even 20 years ago, I used to try to do at least a dozen things every year that I hadn't done before. They weren't prescriptive or planned in advance. It was just when the opportunity came along, I'd say yes. Those old lists of first included trying out trapeze and midnight swims and comedy improv. I had so many wonderful experiences. Of course, this has been tougher in recent times when so many activities we associated with fun were restricted under lockdowns. But I'd parked and forgotten the intention of doing something new. I couldn't shake the feeling that perhaps my life had become too narrow or just a little small. But let me get back to thinking of those big, hairy, audacious goals. For me, and I suspect for others too, I sense the way forward is not just the traditional head type goals, you know, the climbing the mountain of success, the ticking the box of societal norms, the external measures of a successful life. 
there's nothing wrong with these. In many ways, it's planting our flag in the world, establishing our, ourselves in our lives. But at my stage in life, it's about something more than me-focused achievement. It has more to do with fulfillment. I'm more interested in heart goals and soul goals. It's what the New York Times columnist David Brooks calls the second mountain, and he's written a book with that title. The metaphor being you've climbed the first mountain, the traditional mountain of success and achievement, and maybe the view from the top doesn't look great. So you find your second mountain, abandon yourself to a cause greater than yourself, and shape a life that is centred on what the world needs from you. So with all that in mind, these are the questions I've been pondering in recent weeks. You know, what does my heart want? What does my soul want? Or even more emotively, what does my heart crave? What does my soul yearn for? These types of goals, if goals is even the right word, cannot be rattled off quickly. You know, it's not like, oh, I'll write a book or run a marathon. You know, they require contemplation and listening. It's listening to what life is trying to show us or teach us. To listen, we have to be quiet. And I was able to be a little quieter in the last few months. We all need a little time, space and far less distractions to be able to pay attention to our lives. I was reminded that life is not measured quantitatively, though these are often the easy measures, the money in the bank account, the job title, the sales volumes, the, the value of your house, your number of followers. Life is qualitative, quality of life, quality of experiences, quality of emotions, quality of relationships. It's like I've said for years under the umbrella heading of work-life balance. What's the point of having work and life balanced if the quality of both is poor? And ultimately, it's all life anyway, your life. On the topic of work, I listened to Seth Godin, someone I really admire on Debbie Millman's podcast, Why Design Matters. Now, on this episode, Seth spoke of two types of work, the hack and the creative. The hack, or as I maybe phrase it, the churn, is doing what you need to do to pay the bills. It mightn't excite you like it once did, but odds are you're good at it, experienced and practiced, and you could do it with your eyes shut. Prior to taking time out, I'd felt so much of my working life was churn. I was getting fed up hearing myself talk and saying the same things. The other type of work is creative work. It's what excites you. It's more cutting edge. You're pushing boundaries, taking risks. I know I'm someone who likes this new approach trying something new. Management of the status quo is not for me. From a detached position, I could see that I drifted from creative work. It might be as simple as refreshing slides I use in a presentation, giving my website a much needed facelift or thinking of new ways to approach old issues. Taking some time out, I gave myself permission to do pure creative work. And that led me back to writing, which I now refer to as my first love. It was strange after a few weeks of rest and time out and baking and walking and just enjoying some downtime, I found myself opening the laptop to write. I'd written an article titled 50 Things I Know at 50 when I reached that milestone during the pandemic, and I found myself revisiting it and expanding on it. I took different themes and began producing vignettes, short little essays on a range of themes and topics. I enjoyed it. I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed writing. You know, there was no deadline. I was doing it for the pure pleasure of putting ideas on paper. After a few weeks, the idea did come into my head that maybe this could be a book. There is the thinking that writers write the book they need to read. And without a doubt, that's been the case with this one. So here's the big news, friends, something that I didn't plan to do when I embarked on some time out. But I'm delighted to announce that I have a new book that will be out in a few weeks. 
It's my first since Finding Catherine back in 2016. That's six years ago. And the first nonfiction one since Soar was published back in 2012, a scary 10 years ago. Equally mad, this will be my sixth book. Whilst I've always enjoyed writing with this one, the creative side of it was pure pleasure. The editing and everything else that goes to producing a book is certainly work. But I viewed the entire project as something of an adventure. And it's a book I'm excited about sharing with the world. A few people have read samples of it and given some great reviews. Now, I may not be objective, but I've, if I was pushed to say it, I'd say it's probably my best writing. So it is strange that when I took some time out, I reconnected with a love of writing and the joy of the process took over and led to a book that I'm really proud of. And it's doubly sweet as I've dedicated it to my late dad and been able to do that was so special. What's it called, I hear you ask? The title is Words to Inspire. Writing it inspired me, and I would be hopeful that it will inspire others too. Fingers crossed. And I've taken my love of writing one step further. There's that old cliched coaching question. You know, if you won the lotto, what would you do after splurging on some toys and holidays and paying off the mortgage? Well, for me, the answer was to write more and maybe attend some creative writing courses or seminars. So I've applied for and have been accepted to an MA in creative writing in DCU. It's something that really excites me, scares me a little too, which is great. I miss that sense of adventure and possibility and, you know, the sound of my comfort zone being stretched. I'll be a very mature student, but I can't wait. I was 26 when I embarked on an MBA and that was 26 years ago. It also gives me something to say in response to that question. When was the last time you did something new? Whatever the outcome, my world will be a little wider. I'm going to close this week's episode by reading a short extract from my new book. Gosh, that sounds good. Uh, Words to Inspire. So a little sneak preview. But let me sum up my initial reflections on my practical sabbatical by saying my time out hasn't given me all the answers that perhaps I would have liked, but it has given me some new questions and reminded me of some old powerful ones. Let me dream again and establish for myself some big, hairy, audacious goals that inspire, motivate and direct my energy some clear instructions to the universe so I can harness the law of attraction. And then there's those powerful questions. What does my heart crave? What does my soul yearn for? These are my new guiding questions. They make me look within and they, they prompt me and they prompt us to get out of our heads. What am I committing to? That's another powerful question. And what is a commitment? Well, if you think of, say, a marriage ceremony and the commitments given then, or made then, well, we can view commitments as a promise that's made in love. And that's how I like to view the commitments I'm setting for myself, a promise that's made from a place of love. If I was to summarize the last few months for me, it was a bit of a reunion, a reunion with different parts of me, body, mind and spirit, and a reunion with a younger James that I'd left behind in the busyness of life. So I'm going to close this week by reading an extract from my new book, Words to Inspire. It's from a chapter that's titled Resilience, a theme that's certainly relevant to this week's episode. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. So here goes. Human nature leans towards survival and resilience. After all, we've been around for millennia. We don't have to go back too many years to acknowledge the challenges previous generations faced. We are the result of their resilience, courage and adaptability. Their bravery, their spirit is in our blood and DNA. Resilience is the ability to endure adversity and recover from difficult experiences and setbacks. We may even grow as a result of the challenges we faced. 
When we are dealing with a crisis, personal or global, we discover what we are made of, what's important and what we truly believe. It's easier to deal with what's ahead when we know others have our backs. You've got this. Stay positive. Be strong. Keep going. We've all heard these well-intentioned words of encouragement, and we've probably said them too. At our lowest points, these cheery expressions can sound trite. Sometimes all we need is to feel heard and understood. The implication in these sound bites can be that somehow we are not positive, strong or resilient, which isn't true. Resilience is an inbuilt feature of our human hardware designed by evolution to activate in difficult circumstances. When we think of a resilient person, we might think of someone with a clenched jaw, focused eyes and a straight back, determined to take whatever life throws at them. But what coping looks like is different for everyone. The mosaic of resilience includes days when we are too exhausted to get out of bed, when we feel broken and lonely. Resilience is also acknowledging our feelings and bravely opening up about our experiences. Honouring our vulnerability buffers us from guilt, shame and anxiety. It makes us less defensive and insular, allowing us to be open to support from others. Challenges are invitations to awaken dormant potential and are therefore opportunities for accelerated personal growth. Sometimes they demand everything we've got. When facing an emerging crisis, our first strategy is often to try to ignore it. The knotted fear of anger will follow because we no longer feel in control of our lives. I know from experience that we cannot chase away our fears, but we can allow compassion in. This soft side of resilience breeds resolve, that quiet dignity to find a way through. It's what enables us to shift from worry to problem solving. It also reminds us of the light that resides outside the tunnel. Whilst habit wants things to get back to normal, resilience invites us to ponder what sort of normal we want that to be. In the not too distant future, the challenges we face today will be a memory. When the story of a crisis is told, so often the theme is renewal. So that was a little snippet from my new book, Words to Inspire. I suspect I'll be sharing more little snippets in future weeks as well. So thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, it's great to be back. Over the course of this new series, I have some great conversations lined up with guests and many more topics that I'll be delving into. So thanks again, my friends, and until next week. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode and have a moment, please rate, review and subscribe if you haven't already. And maybe you'd like to share it with a friend too. For more information about me, James Sweetman, my coaching services, workshops, books, and for more podcast episodes, be sure to visit jamesweetman.com. <laughs>